because the product is a good product and people don't buy it because it's pretty don't buy it because because you know they want something fancy just because they need it it's like you need a hammer here's a hammer um and in my case uh, because this is so niche i was lucky enough that i'm literally the only hammer on the market Welcome to Masters of Crowdfunding. In today's episode, we have Simon Lasnier, the creator of Midronome. Now, today's episode is especially interesting and different than others because Simon's first campaign actually failed in March of 2022. But instead of giving up, as most creators would, he kept going at it. And six months later, he ended up relaunching Midronome and raising nearly 160,000 euros on Kickstarter, making it a huge success. So in today's episode, you'll be learning his story, what he learned, and how he ended up applying his learnings to launching a highly successful campaign. Enjoy. All right, Simon, well, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Excited to dive in today. So first off, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about Midronome, you know, in your own words. So Midronome, it's, it's a device. I actually have one in here. Um, oh, nice. Because I always have one with me. So it looks like that. And it's basically a synchronization box. So what it does is is make sure that every, like all the acoustic instruments and all the electronic instruments play together, as well as stuff like the recording software. And it's typically for people that play electronic music. So people that play this kind of very synthy music that have these things called sequences. And basically, sequencer will be like something you press a note, and then it has a set tempo. So we go like something like that. And then to make sure that this plays in time with, say, a drummer, then you need something that sets the tempo on the device and sends it to like a drummer, you know, like a click, like a metronome to a drummer, so he can play in time. That's like one part of the device, and then the other part is synchronizing all of this with the recording software, which anybody who records that kind of data, any, anybody who records that kind of music, we know it's a real nightmare, basically. Awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Well, how did you come up with the idea in the first place? So actually, that's a really funny story because I I guess I never intended on being a business owner of any kind. I was just, so basically, I, was, I had a full-time job something like five years ago, and then I quit that job and I decided to go full-time musician and that was in 2018 and that was going great. I was doing all sorts of gigs, all sorts of, uh, you know, stuff with the music as well. I was doing audio engineering. I had uh, this studio that was running and basically COVID happened in 2020 and then all the gigs got cancelled. A lot of musicians had like normal money and stuff. There was, yeah, there was this weird times. We'll remember 2020. That was very strange. And basically, all of a sudden, I had a lot of time on my hands and and the keyboard player in my band. So I actually play acoustic guitar and drums. So I don't play that much keyboard and I don't play that much electronic music. But the keyboard player in my band, he wanted to have a simple device that could just like set the tempo on his devices and at the same time send a metronome. So that's literally where the idea started. And he just said, oh, can you just make this device? And I thought, oh, you know what? I have plenty of time now because... It's COVID anyway. So I so yeah, I just started making it and it was just for fun. And then then the whole story about COVID, we all thought it was gonna stop in like a few months and it didn't. So I just kept going basically. 
And it got to a point where, funny enough, I didn't know anything about electronics. Uh, and that's the funniest part. I learned all the, all the electronics part. I learned it as it was going. <laughs> so anyway, and then I ended up making this thing, like little by little, just learning on the way. And, and here we are about three years later with something like 1,500 devices sold and professional device, professionally made. It's just... Uh, <laughs> Feels like it was far away at the time where I was just playing with it. I know it's a, it's a pretty amazing story, and it's one of those classic COVID stories where everyone's shut in, have to figure out something else to do. So, so were you a a professional musician as a full time job at that at that time, like prior to COVID? So I was, and again, like I know a lot of professional musicians, and if you ask them, anyone. Like they would never tell you they have like one thing. Like I think any anyone that's professional in the music, they always do a lot of different things, because it's hard to get income from only one thing anyway. And and my biggest project was my band, which was not generating any money at all. But basically, I started doing all sorts of stuff with the music, so like audio engineering, the recording that paid well. I started tuning acoustic pianos as well. Yeah, and all sorts of small things. Also gigs where you know they would just need like a guitarist, so just come in and play. So all the stuff, yeah, it's, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But to answer your question, right, it, right. it was definitely full time all in the music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mainly what I was, I was trying to get more clarity on was the majority of your income coming from, let's call it music in general, but it looks like that's made up of multiple income streams. It definitely is. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then, so you said it took about, or it was about three years ago when this all started. And I mean, it's a pretty amazing story to teach yourself you know, what you need to learn about electronics and the engineering behind it to make metronome come to life, you know, but it started out as a, as solving a problem for your band, you know, for yourself, just for your band in general. And then it turned into this consumer product. Could you, could you walk us through how it went from, you know, this, this product that was solving your own problem to you figuring out you're going to make this a consumer product? I think it's a tough question because I... I don't exactly know myself how to say like I kind of it kind of just happened because I I was just doing this thing for fun and it's like basically you just get more professional one step at a time kind of kind of like oh at the beginning I remember I was I was spending a lot of time on forums actually forums like electronics forums to learn about it and quite often I would just write some stuff and then you have like the old engineers they would write to me like oh my god this is terrible and uh, and then okay then you learn like step by step about this and then same thing about when it came to marketing and sales and business it was same thing it was just step by step okay you meant to do this like this and oh you should do this like this and actually for three years and up to this day it's still literally one foot in front of the other in front of the other like just take the time and learn what you can and and nowadays there's youtube there is like so many resources so it's literally anybody that wants to learn anything has like an entire university everywhere um, and then of course the yeah, guys like amazing. guys like you which i'm sure we're going to speak about in a moment that also help a lot and you know it's kind of like a, a big step forward basically right right so so you initially launched midronome back in i believe it was march of, of the last year of 2022 and can you can you walk us through actually i want to go back a little bit before just the launch. How did you decide that you were going to use crowdfunding as the platform to launch Midronome? That's funny because that was always there. 
almost from the very beginning. I always had this idea, oh, you know, if this turns into a real product, I'll just, I'll crowdfund it. And, and at that time, I didn't know anything about crowdfunding at all. I just had this idea to think, okay, it's like, if you look at crowdfunding in terms of, like, theoretically, it's amazing. It's, you get the customers, you get uh, a way to test the market, and and you get the money. So you don't have to put in, like, shit on the money uh, beforehand. While then afterwards, it's, it's not all true. Of course, you have to put some money beforehand because there's something called ads marketing. Uh, and if you don't put any money beforehand, well, you don't get much, really. But still, it's still like the whole market validation, the whole idea, oh, you're going to get customers beforehand. It's really great. And then, yeah, sorry, I think that was the question, actually. <laughs> no, it definitely was definitely was the, the answer to the question. But I mean, there there's definitely some more to dive into in, in your answer regarding what your expectations were regarding crowdfunding and then what it actually took as well. I think it sounds like the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the main expectation that you had, which I, I believe a lot of people have going into crowdfunding is that, you know, it can be a place where you put a project up and you don't have to spend that much money because, you know, the main reason why you're going on crowdfunding is to raise money or do pre pre-sales but that's not really true it is going to take some type of investment into the crowdfund in order to make it successful in most cases i'd say in almost every case i guess it depends on what your definition of success is but i would say in most cases it's going to take some type of investment so i'd love for you to to expand on that a little bit more like what your expectations were and then how those were changed based off of your experience i mean I had exactly like you said. Actually, I had literally. You come in with this idea, with this idea that oh, crowdfunding is all about <laughs> generating money, and and then you see those campaigns. You always have this feeling uh, when you go there, and you see those campaigns that generate like millions, and you're like, oh, maybe my campaign will generate millions. And <laughs> you always have this idea, you know, it just comes from the sky, and I can tell now that I know a lot more about all this about crowdfunding. I think that two types of campaigns uh, you can see on crowdfunding platforms, especially on Kickstarter, you have like the, what I call the natural campaigns. It's people that just put a product, they don't do much marketing and then somehow their product catches up and then they have like a fair amount of organic traffic. I haven't done any of these campaigns, so maybe I'm completely wrong, but I have a feeling these still exist. And it, I think at the very core of Kickstarter, like back in when they started, it was mainly for these type of campaigns. And I feel like then nowadays you have companies more and more, they use it as a marketing platform, which is what I've done, which is why I think most of your customers are doing. And and these campaigns usually generate a lot more money. They're probably the ones that reached a million dollars. And, and, and basically these ones now have known the hard way when you look at these and you feel like, oh, you know, maybe my campaign will just magically have that traction and it doesn't happen magically like now i know these campaigns have a lot of like they they just put a lot of money into it to generate that amount of money so when you look at the numbers actually you think oh look they've earned one million dollars what you don't know is maybe they spend three hundred thousand dollars in in ads and and marketing to actually get to that point yeah very true yeah there was i was interviewing everett taylor the ceo at kickstarter for our summit that we had recently. And we were talking about a story of, of a campaign, I think it's called Broke Friends LLC, but it was a campaign that launched on Kickstarter that fit within the, you know, the first example that you were talking about where 
they did really nothing, at least from what I could tell in terms of marketing. They had hardly any funding up until the last, I think, four days of the campaign. It got picked up by, you know, some influencer, someone that liked the campaign. And then the whole Kickstarter community like rallied behind this campaign and ended up raising, I forget the exact amount, but well past their funding goal. It was like tens of thousands of dollars. And so it had this like organic, I guess kind of like viral component to it as well, which is a little bit different than what you were talking about, but definitely had an organic like community, like grassroots feel to it. But that is a, that is a rarity. I mean, those are awesome stories, but especially now, like what you were pointing out, it really has become something where if you want to have a more predictable outcome, there needs to be some type of marketing system and marketing spend put behind it. To your example, if someone does a million dollar campaign, they're definitely, I, I would bet all of them are spending at least six figures in, in ad spend. And it's usually somewhere between 20 to 40% of, of whatever the campaign raises in a lot of the, a lot of the cases. So, you know, I want to go back to your initial launch because I, I love your story. It's, you know, well, I haven't, I have actually never talked to you about what that experience was like for you and not to spoil it for everyone. I'm, I'm doing like a big build up here, but you launched originally in March of 2020, sorry, of last year, 2022, and ended up pressing the cancel button after raising over 20,000 euros. Can you, can you walk through, you know, what that experience was like and, and also why you ended up canceling the campaign? Well, I mean, the why is very easy. <laughs> Basically, I didn't make my goal. So I guess it's like canceling is just a way to call it, hey, you know, I didn't fail, I canceled. But basically, that's what it was. It's just I didn't I didn't make the goal. The goal was 50,000, I think, and which was clearly way too high. We can speak about that uh, later on. But yeah, then I raised 25. I think I raised about 50%. And, and basically, I think the real question is more why, why did I relaunch? And this is actually when I, I've basically got in contact with you guys with LaunchBoom and started doing the whole LaunchBoom um, Academy. Uh, process and then relaunch a few months later and and that's actually a funny story because when you launch in kickstarter especially when when it's like your first kickstarter you're not used to this world you don't really know what you're doing you get flooded with emails it's insane the amount of crap that you get in your inbox like so many emails and and half of them are like like 90 percent of them are bad emails and out of those 90% I think there's a good 50% that are like really scams like real proper scams where you know they will actually steal money from you uh, and the other 50% is just like really bad marketing where you just put a bit of money and then you never get anything out of it and then of course there's like the 10% that are actually real stuff and then out of the real stuff you never know if it's actually going to help you or not and like the story how it started with LaunchBoom it was Maria I think who contacted me by email and it started by she's splitting. I don't know if you want me to talk about this now. Oh, talk about it. I love this story. I think it's yeah. I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah, Mar Maria wrote to me and basically she, I think it was like some sort of automated email that probably like went through all the campaigns and said, hey, you know, maybe we can help and stuff. Uh, and I think she missed, she wrote, hey, and then she wrote my last name instead of my first name. And I think I replied with an angry email saying like, well, how am I supposed to trust you can do marketing correctly if you can't even make a difference in my first name and email and last name? 
but funny enough, it was like kind of the first step and then she replied and, and then you could tell that the person replying was an actual real person writing the email and like the first email. And then she said, oh, sorry, you know, my systems really got mixed up. And I think I really like the honesty of the reply. And I think this is when basically the NAP probably went on the website, started checking out Orange Boom and stuff. And and then, yeah, like the whole process started. And then I eventually decided to go for you guys. But it's a really, it was a really tough de- decision because before that, I had tried a few of those emails, people that contacted me and that I actually put some money into and it was never a lot of money anyway. Um, and I think at some point actually I got really close to being scammed. That was scary. Uh, and then when I called the guy up and he scammed me, he sent me a really angry email saying that he had uh, he had contacts and that he's going to put my company down and <laughs> that kind of thing, which was a bit scary, which I've learned afterwards. It's just ignore it and move on. Delete. They're not going to do anything. But yeah, so yeah, that was the, um, sorry, I lost track of the question, I think, but that was, that was a fun, uh, fun experience. Mm, excuse me. You're, you're talking about the, you know, the deeper question of why you relaunched, but I do want to just point out that what you're, what you're talking about of all these different marketing companies, I guess us being one of them are reaching out to you during your campaign is, can be extremely overwhelming and it's definitely something to be aware of and also be cautious about. So I'm glad that you, you brought that up now, now to keep going on, on your answer in terms of why you relaunched, I would love to, I would love to hear yeah why, because I feel like a lot of people might just quit. That's one thing. And then two, if you remember my question as you're giving your answer, what were the differences between your your relaunch campaign and your failed campaign? Um, so why relaunched? Uh, I want to say because I believed in my product. Like before I did the whole marketing thing, I literally used to tell people, hey, I've made this product. It's amazing. That's because I'm a very proud person. And I was just like, this is amazing. This will sell itself. Like it doesn't need any marketing. We're just going to put it there and people are going to, because people needed this thing. And it's actually true. And I think that's also why the campaign went really well in a lot of ways, because the product is a good product and people don't buy it because it's pretty, don't buy it because, because you know, they want something fancy just because they need it. It's like, you need a hammer, here's a hammer. And in my case, because this is so niche, I was lucky enough that I'm literally the only hammer on the market. I had one big competitor, which actually closed down shortly after the campaign. But basically right now, there's literally one type of device like this you can buy on the whole market and it's mine. Clearly that will expand eventually, but but that really helps. It means that if people want that type of product, okay, well, they don't have any choice. Like this is it. Uh, and then the other thing about the device, it was the price points. That it was a lot cheaper than the previous competitor and that a lot of things basically, which uh, like a lot of potential other devices. Uh, and the price was something I worked really hard on. So that's definitely answer to number one. I think is I really believed in the product and I was like, and I still raised 25,000 with very little marketing. So I was like, well, you know, there's potential there. And and I don't know, I wasn't ready like, to say, okay, I'm, what am I going to do with my life? Like, am I just going to go find a normal job? I don't think I'm a normal job kind of guy. So I was I was like, let's let's try this. And, and then another part of why we launched, I think, is Launch Boom. It's basically talking with Maria, who literally said like, oh, if, so if it doesn't work, you should cancel the campaign and then relaunch. And I think that was, that also pushed me. I think that motivated me basically to feel like, okay, well, these guys look like they know what they're doing. I already raised half the budget on my own. So hopefully with them, I can raise a lot more than that. 
And then two, that was a difference between so the the first campaign and the second one. And I mean that is also very easy answer. The big answer is launch boom. Like it's literally the the main Okay, there's two two maybe two points. One point is definitely launch boom and the whole launch boom academy system, which I really liked, which worked really well. And then the second point was also knowing when to launch, which I think was one of my biggest mistakes on the first on the first campaign is that I basically launched too soon, and mainly because I had no idea what I was doing and I was doing a little bit of what we spoke about before. I was just looking at other campaigns and think, oh, maybe my campaign will raise $10 million and it didn't. And, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so I think that's why I just thought, oh, you know, let's launch now because you're kind of almost too excited while actually it's, it should be the opposite. You should have the numbers, you should check the numbers before you launch so that there's no surprises, which is literally what happened on the second campaign. It was, it was literally a no surprise, actually no good surprises, no bad surprises. It was exactly as I expected the second campaign. Well, let's, let's dive into that. How, how, when you say the, you know, the launch boom Academy system that worked really well for you, can you explain what that means? Like, what did you focus on? in pre-launch to make sure that there were no surprises for your, your relaunch campaign? Like the, the keyword is really pre-launch and, um, and I want to say, I mean, you guys, but I've also heard it from other companies now that's, it's literally the, it's the key of all these big campaigns is the pre-launch. And it, in my case, it did 100% of the funding, at least to my belief. And that's because I think I got very, very little organic natural traffic, which some campaigns do, some campaigns don't. I think in my case, it's also because it's a niche device and I don't know, like the pre-launch worked really well for me, but then the, the live campaign, like the organic traffic that you meant to get a little bit of, at least I almost got none. So the biggest difference with the launch room system was definitely the pre-launch. I was working on, on getting all those leads. And I think this is something I haven't seen so often. And I think maybe it's time to spread now, but at least back then it was very rare. It's literally the famous, and please cut if this is too, if I'm divulging, divulging some secrets, the secret weapon of Launch Boom. But basically like for me, the secret weapon is the, is the, the funnel and the $1 reservation. The concept that basically people have to put their card down to reserve spots on the campaign and that made all the difference because then okay as soon as like you can have so many people that give you the email or they say yeah, of course i would back the campaign you never know until they put the card out if they take their credit card out and pay even if it's just one dollar then you know okay they've made that step and that way you really know when you launch the campaign that okay these people are actually going to back the campaign yeah i will say that you are definitely not divulging any secrets that we don't want people to know so <laughs> very 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 excited to talk about the dollar reservation funnel and and all the success that i had for you and anyone else so w- tell me about what the first day was like for you i like to i like to zoom in on the feeling or like what that experience was like uh for you because you you raised i believe i don't have my notes up in front of me but it was over eighty thousand euros i believe in one day so was that meeting your expectations exceeding under your expectations what was that like well like i say before actually it wasn't like the first campaign was such a big deal i launched and then i was like super stressed and i was like oh what's happening and and while the second campaign it was more like 
okay, it's like, I knew how this was going to plan. I had the numbers, I had everything checked and everything happened exactly like it was supposed to, like all the VIPs. So VIPs are the people that put down their $1 reservation. Almost all of them backed the campaign. I guess that was like a, a slight positive surprise, positive surprise. But, but in that way, I was kind of, I don't know, I was... I was expecting them to do so, I think. And, and again, this probably because it's such a niche product. So I was just thinking like for you to go through all that trouble to find a niche product, put down your card and learn about it to not back the campaign. It just feels a bit like, okay, why, why did you go through all that trouble if you're not going to actually buy the product? And the product is quite cheap. It was the VIP price was like a hundred euros. Um, so I just also, I think that's also another motivation. If the product was 3000 euros. I get that people might think about it twice. But so in that way, it was no, it was like really a no surprises kind of thing. I do remember one thing though, that it's just on the first few minutes of launch, like the, the my phone would not stop going. It's like ding, 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 ding. You get so many messages and so many people asking random stuff. And and so there's still like the first hour, obviously there's always like a little bit intense because a lot is happening. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a stressful moment. It was very expected. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's again, that's the beauty of the launch boom system. And then, and then the, it's more like the rest of the campaign that you kind of hope, oh, something would pick up and, and, oh, you know, organic traffic would just magically come and stuff, which I think in some campaigns happens a little bit, but in my campaign didn't. Right, right, right. Sounds like you were cool, calm and collected on day one. There, there was no excitement there at all, <laughs> watching all those sales come in. I <laughs> I mean, there was a, a fair amount of excitement. It's always nice to feel like, you know, it was the second, it was a second launch. And even though I was convinced it was going to work because I had all the numbers, it's, I guess it's still nice to see the numbers actually coming in and feel like, wow, okay, I've launched a second time. I've actually made the goal and, you know, I'm doing this basically. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think you, more so than most people we work with are, like very into the data, which we love, by the way. And you really took all of our systems to heart, understanding the, the, and I would say even pushing some of them as well in terms of understanding the numbers. So it makes sense going into it. You had very clear expectations that ended up being met, which is awesome to see. So I think another thing that you have done exceptionally well is community building. And I, I would love to know, you know, how you, I guess, like strategically, how did you build a community of of fans, you know, both pre-launch, but also during the campaign, probably more pre-launch. And, and when I'm asking this question, I believe you did some community building work that was outside of just running ads and building up an email list, correct? Mm, not so much, actually. It was, it, it was still mainly on the ads and the mailing lists from what I understood, as that's where most of the community came. I had, I don't know if that was part of your question, but I have, I have a forum basically. So I have different spaces where people can interact. But I would say like the, where I got the community, where the people came to me, it was still mainly through the ads. Right, right. Yeah. That was actually a poorly worded, I guess, question on my part. Yeah. Makes sense. The way that you built the community was through ads. Let's actually talk about fostering the community because I find that part really fascinating. Like how it's one thing to get someone to sign up for your email list and even give a dollar, but it's another thing to form, let's say like a, you know, a, a deeper connection with that person. Can you talk a little bit more about how you fostered community in the pre-launch? I think um, it's a very good point, actually, that you bring because uh, 
I want to say it's maybe also because I'm a musician and the, the, your main job as a musician and like what people think is creating music. No, it's actually creating community around your music. And so in that way, I have the same, I have the experience from before. And here I would say, so it was the same. It was, it was literally, okay, if I take the, the launch boom system, one thing that I love about launch boom is they, they pre-write a lot of things like Someone could technically just do launch boom, spending very, very little time because you guys pre-write everything, you just change the name, put there, okay, send the email, done. And I think I am the kind of person that I went full in, I spent a lot of time on it, probably more than I needed, but I think that's also the result of this community. For example, every single email, I actually spend hours, I literally spend hours, to this day I still do, I send to my mailing list, I spend I, I send about one email a month, sometimes even less. But every email, like, is really I really think it through. I try to make it not too long, and I I I want the people to feel like, okay. It comes from me. They have like a special relationship with me. And then it was the, so that was on the mailing list. Then it was the same on the forum, and on the ads. Actually, every single comment on the ad, even the the really angry comments. I would reply to them and sometimes it was sometimes it was terrible. People just wanted to bitch about things and so they just send an angry comment and that's it. Sometimes people were surprised because they would write an angry comment saying, oh, this is an ad, so clearly it's lying. And then they would be surprised an actual person replies and, and says stuff that real. And they'd be like, oh, sorry. <laughs> it was like, oh, I didn't realize there was a human behind this. And kind of... Yeah, I think we live in this weird world where people are just bombarded with things and especially on, on Facebook and Instagram when they see like the sponsored at the top, it's like they already come with a negative mindset. So that was definitely a big part of building the community. This and then the forums, I feel is strong because it's like this is really hard to get the forum going because people need to register and stuff. But it's really like the almost the last step. I feel like when people are in the forum and are writing there, okay, they're like, it's my forum. So they're really here to talk about my stuff and but generally I feel like there's not much more than for me it's just talking talking with them like whenever people send me an email spend the time basically it's just a, you know in some companies full-time job right and and then just be nice with people and and try to be like uh, to connect with them on a on a personal level without being all corporate like hi thank you for your email we will proceed with your request and and like that's what I would say. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, I think you bring up a lot of good points. It's like, it, it sounds like a really simple, well, I don't know, call it strategy or thing to do. But what I mean is like, it sounds very simple to just respond to people, like take time in crafting a non-corporate authentic message back to them. But it's it's kind of wild how few companies actually do that. I mean, We've been doing this now for 10 years. We've worked with all types of creators, entrepreneurs. There's definitely a group of people that are trying to be as hands-off as possible. They want the automated, you know, messages back that have no soul to them, so to speak. But then you end up sounding like everyone else, you know, and there's nothing special about it. And to your point too, it's like everyone expects that, you know, or I guess everyone forgets that there's like a usually a human, <clears throat> excuse me, human on the other side of the computer, like someone wrote these messages. There's also a humans that are running these companies as well. And, you know, we're so conditioned now to think that it's like, everything's almost like dehumanized. So if you bring that element back into it, you actually care about the responses. You take time in the messages that you send to your 
potential customers, your customers, I think it goes a long way. I mean, it, it makes me think to even your experience of first, I guess, meeting us or meeting Maria, right? It's like, yeah, we sent you an automated message out, made a mistake. You responded back, but then, you know, Maria owned it, talked to you, had a very real human moment. And I feel like that stood out then among the rest of the messages or, you know, marketing that you were getting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The the human contact goes a long way like in this case. And you know what? I would even say in, in my case, it goes even further because now like I've made the product and people have bought the product and they're happy with it. But I really feel like the community believes in me. Like there's literally people that send me emails that say, hey man, are you making more products? Because I'll buy anything from you. And it's actually a really nice feel. Like they really, they buy into me more than the product. So so I think it's great for the future of the company. And I think you have a few companies like this, actually, when you say there's no corporate. Like the first one that comes to mind is Dyson, like Robert Dyson, I think, which is the original guy from Dyson. He's still in these videos and he's still like part of the marketing. So they still have this image, oh, you're buying something from Robert Dyson. Uh, obviously, it's a huge company, so it's not like he's doing every product. But I think that try to keep this at least at the marketing level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if you look at the most valuable companies in the world, like there's usually a person that is associated with that brand. Like even though Steve Jobs has passed, I still think a lot of people associate Apple with Steve Jobs and Tim Cook now as well. But Amazon, people think of Jeff Bezos, you know, say what you want about Elon Musk. He's done a good job of also making himself synonymous with a lot of his brand. So it's people want to connect with people, I think is the... And the data would, would back that up. So you talk about, you know, people want to buy any product from you, <laughs> which is awesome, by the way. What does the future hold for Midronome? Are you looking to expand with more products? So actually just these, literally this week, I'm trying to choose a, a marketing company. As, as you know, I really wanted to join this thing called Scale Boom, which was like the next step after Launch Boom. But I think you guys put that on pause or closed it permanently, I'm not sure. But but basically, yeah, so I've been looking at other marketing firms because I feel like I really need help with all the marketing thing. And basically, right now, I'm considering two companies. And it's funny you speak about the community because my first reaction when these companies start to speak about big numbers and, and you know, it's like typical marketing company talk where they start speaking about investors and, you know, it's like all the, com- the, the company, which is nice, a very small company, it's just me. And, you know, doing the day-to-day stuff all of a sudden becomes like much, much bigger, like to grow up the scale. And I really hope I don't lose that connection. Actually, this is really something I want, even if the company grows, even if I start having employees and stuff like I don't want to lose that connection with the, with the buyers. So I hope I can keep this. But as for the future of the, of the metronome and, and the company generally, like there's, I want to make a bunch of accessories to this. And there is something basically on the side, there's like a way to attach a module, like an add-on module. So I will start designing these over the next few months, probably, and then selling them. Um, And then, yeah, and then that's it, just scaling and, you know, making a bigger batch, sending it. I'm sure there's plenty of people around the world that need one of these uh, that haven't bought one yet. So, um, and then eventually, yeah, of course, making other products. I have so many new ideas for products. Uh, but like I've said before, it's just one step at a time. So trying not to rush things and, uh, and make sure that everything 
works financially before I move on. It makes sense. Yeah. Actually, since you brought up the financial part, was the, we get this question a lot in, you know, feel free to share as much as you feel comfortable with here um, or nothing at all <laughs> is it, how did the finances break out for you? Maybe you can look at it from a broad perspective, but the question we get from a lot of creators is, you know, how much money should I expect to make when they say money, I mean like profit should they expect to make from the campaign or like, where does the money typically, you know, go to is a lot of it or most of it going to funding the actual manufacturing in marketing, and then you're left with you know not that much, or or maybe nothing. So I, if you if you mind if you don't mind, excuse me, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about like how the finances like broke out, maybe from like a high level. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think how to say this, <laughs> like there's some people that rather spend money on things, while I rather spend time. I'm the kind of person that says like I see something. Or even someone that like gives a service and that costs maybe I know thousand dollars, and then I'm gonna be like, oh wait, I can do that myself, and I'm gonna spend hours and hours just learning how to do it, and then save those thousand dollars. The reason why I'm saying this is I feel like I've done the campaign a lot this way, so I I generally try to keep my expenses quite low, and and then just do the work when there's something. Like without sounding too proud, I'm also, I think, a quite a smart person. Like I'm a tech guy and I can learn things quite quickly. Like I've literally learned the electronics in three years in on how to make this device. So when there's something I don't know, I just watch YouTube videos and then and then I learn, I learn how to do it. And this way, I think I've saved a lot of money. So most of my expenses were marketing expenses. And then the manufacturing price, <laughs> I've worked also really hard. That's literally two years of work speaking with companies, testing things. So it is made in China, but like what people think, it's not making in China. It's not about, oh, I'm just going to find someone and oh, everything is good. It actually, it's for me, at least it was a lot of work of trying the manufacturers. The Chinese people are amazing. They're super helpful from the whole manufacturing points. But of course, you need to try things. So I tried some manufacturers that were terrible. So they sent me some samples. It didn't work at all. Then I tried another one. So it's a long process, a lot of hours writing, testing things. But all of this really helps keep the manufacturing price down, which means I have a I have pretty good margin on the device. So all in all, like I definitely ended up with profits after the campaign. And I won't say necessarily exactly how much, but I would say a, a large percentage of the amounts from the campaign it was actually profits, which is great because you can reinvest it and do more with it. That's great. That's great. It's great. That's awesome here. Yeah, thanks for going through that. Yeah, I in getting to know you and working with you, you know, over the past, I guess it's been a year that you've you've been working with us or a little over a year. I can definitely confirm to all the listeners that Simon is not afraid to get his hands dirty and 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 learn and put in the time, which I think benefits you so much over the long term as well. Because now you have all these skill sets and you also have a deeper understanding of all these really important pieces that go into actually making the product a reality, making the business a reality as well. Okay, so one one final question to, just to wrap this up. You know, we talk to a lot of people that are, let's say, potential creators. Like they have ideas or maybe they have created a product, but there's a lot of people that are just like stuck and maybe it's fear or whatever it might be that's like preventing them from moving forward with launching their product. 
what, if any advice would you give to that person that dreams of launching their product, but for whatever reason, can't get themselves to, to move forward with it right now? Well, the first thing I would say is make a great product because I think there's too many people that just think they have an amazing product and, and then they go to maybe a company like you guys and, and then they unhappy because things don't go as planned or they don't have enough people interested and stuff. And uh, I mean, you guys do amazing marketing and they have amazing technique, but it's not magic either. At some point, like people still need to like the product, otherwise they won't buy it. And and funny enough, I feel like this is not a one way, it's not like a one-time thing. It's not like, oh, I've made this product, it's great. And then I won't touch it ever again. If you look at any company in the world, actually, people just move around, like adapt, change things, evolve. Like the way I've made, actually the Midroom is a great example because I've made it for me and my band. And it was literally about having this thing synchronizing the synthesizers and the the drummer. And that was our problem. And what I found out is actually very few of my buyers have that specific problems. The one that do, they love the device, but most of the buyers have the thing with the software, the recording. And that's basically, that's where I realized, hey, actually this is like a huge market there. And maybe it's not exactly the product I envisioned, but you know what, if I just make this tweak and this tweak, oh, now this product matches this whole market, which people are dying for. So it's so I would say it's really about tweaking the product so that you actually find people. And and this is also where the launch boom system is great because you have this whole validation thing. And if you run the validation and then you realize, oh, people are not buying in the product, okay, then maybe you need to rethink a bit about the product and kind of tweak things around it to be able to sell it. So that's definitely the first thing. And then the other thing is just don't be afraid. <laughs> like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, and the money-wise, like, and I know maybe people in the US sometimes have a, I think, I don't know, I might be wrong, but I think there's a slightly different approach to money compared to in Europe, simple where I am. But like, I know for me, I just, I had some savings and I just made the math. Like I didn't want to end, for example, you don't want to end with a huge debt. If you don't have any money on the side, then maybe get a job, save a bit of money. Okay, then you have that money, you can invest it. If it doesn't work, well, fine, move on with your life, right? So I would just say, make the math, make sure that everything counts and then and then do your best and then and then be ready that if it fails, well, it fails, you've lost a bit of money. In the same way, if uh, you go to, I don't know, you go, in a casino and spend all your money and sometimes you lose it. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I think both of those pieces of advice are, are great and just your whole story as well. So Simon, I, I really, really appreciate you you coming on and sharing with everyone today. And yeah, looking forward to seeing Metronome continue to grow and seeing how your story evolves. So thank you so much. Thanks very much. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review at launchboom.com forward slash podcast or on Spotify. Every review makes a massive difference because it only allows more people to benefit from the experiences of our incredible guests. You can also sign up for a free newsletter at launchboom.com forward slash newsletter. Learn how to bring your product idea to life with crowdfunding just five minutes a week. We send one no BS email every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening.